Hello and welcome to another EdChoice Chat, a monthly debrief in the States. We've been doing this for now some time, sort of sharing with our listeners what's going on around the country with bills. But as you might imagine, there's not a lot of bill action happening this year in states around the country. So we're going to shake it up a little bit. We're joined by Lauren Hodge, our Director of State Programs, and Emily Sess, the Policy Director at the Center for Innovation in Education. Thanks and welcome to being here. Thanks. It's great to be here, Robert. Thanks for having me. Great. So Emily is from Texas, and she's you know one of our largest states where we have more than 50,000 people migrating to that state every single year. And it's going to be planning to have that happening for the next, what, five or 10 years. It's going to be a massive immigration. It's going to really change Texas. You know, that means it's probably having a lot of challenges when it comes to the COVID pandemic. So Emily, tell us, describe to us what's actually happening with education in Texas in the midst of this pandemic. And how are schools responding? Well, as in most places around the country, this pandemic was extremely unexpected and schools have scrambled to respond in a way that's going to maintain student learning. The good news is in Texas, as opposed to some other states' decisions, the decision was strongly in favor of supporting student learning, even if that's more difficult for districts, for administrators, for teachers, for the Texas Education Agency. The priority is to keep students learning as much as possible while keeping them safe. So one thing I, I want to give a shout out to our governor and commissioner for is right out of the gate, as school districts, individual school districts were beginning to decide whether to close or not, in especially our urban areas, they issued a waiver that said, if you're closing for the purposes of protecting public health during this time, we will waive the normal requirements that, on how you're funded and that your kids have to show up. We'll, we'll waive everything that's necessary for you to close school as long as you commit to and make a good faith effort to continue student learning remotely. If you do that, we will make sure on the financial side that you're whole. We will basically support you in fulfilling that duty to students, even if it's not the way we originally expected and intended. So. With that context, school districts in Texas have, by and large, really risen to that challenge. Is it, is it difficult? Yes. Is it imperfect? Absolutely. But they are doing their darndest to get educational resources out to students as efficiently and quickly as possible. Dallas ISD had a website up for home learning for their students with it, I think, by the end of spring break. Houston ISD has stuff up now. Other districts have responded well during this time as well. Of course, it's not perfect, but there is a concerted effort to try to continue student learning. Okay, that's great. So Emily, that's really encouraging to hear, and I'm, I'm heartened to hear that the child's coming first. You know, I'm curious, there's so many different sectors, you know, of, of types of education. You've got your traditional, you have your private sector, you have a charter sector. And I'm really wondering, how are these different sectors responding to the COVID crisis? Are, are we seeing similarities? Are we seeing patterns or too soon to tell? Any ideas around that? We've heard from all of those sectors that this is difficult. The Texas Education Agency has looped in the Texas Private Schools Network into their conversations and their supports as much as possible. So. While private schools face some unique challenges there that can be unique to, to smaller districts specifically, they are at least able to participate in some of those discussions. 
I would say that one sector that's really stood out as not being impacted by these school closures is, of course, the virtual school sector, which is small in Texas, but does exist. Of course, for those parents and students, this has been pretty much business as usual, which is fantastic for those students and the families that support them. One thing that I think this has brought up for Texas is that it would be really great to give districts the same flexibility that some of these virtual schools have. Whether that's looking at if there's a way to make some sort of seat time waiver more permanent, or if it's just the obvious freeing up districts to provide online courses or a full-time online curriculum if they'd like to, we should give districts the ability to develop and provide that. Right now, we've only got about half a dozen districts that are even able to do that, and the rest have been kind of, you know, caught flat-footed. Okay, let's get everything online, kids, when there's been no runway to even prepare for that if they've wanted to. So going into the future, we definitely need to make sure that we have more provisions and more flexibility for districts to allow them to accommodate student needs more closely. So that's great to hear you know, particularly during this challenging time that there is some positive things going on. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Tell us a little bit, obviously, everyone has looked at this crisis to the federal government. So everyone has looked to the federal government to solve this crisis, and they have actually been on the spot with a significant amount of resources. And so there's a lot of money that was put into education through the COVID-3 CARES Act, and now they're looking at a fourth version of that. So what has been the impact of that federal program that's coming into Texas, and what are your worries and hopes about it? Speaking broadly, I think it's beginning to have an impact. Obviously, some of this is still, you know, juicing to tell is still making its way down. But I can say just last night, a friend of mine who works in the restaurant business told us that he's back on payroll after several weeks of being off because of the Paycheck Protection Program. So it's definitely beginning to have an impact on people's lives here, just based on anecdotal reports. As far as the education piece, of course, we're still waiting on the applications for these grants from the Department of Education, but we're starting to look at TPPF, the Texas Public Policy Foundation, at what those funds could be used for, and that we will get a substantial amount of funding, it looks like, from the federal government. That's going to be immensely helpful because of of course, meeting all these needs can be expensive. We're hoping that those funds will be able to be spent again on what's been the state priority and we hope continues to be the state priority of shoring up student learning. Obviously, despite everybody's best efforts, we're going to come out of this with learning gaps. Kids haven't been in a normal environment for them and learning has taken some hits over the last couple of months and possibly the next month. So whatever we can do to shore up student learning, especially over the summer or through additional supports into next school year are going to be key. It's going to be important to prioritize allowing districts to set up systems that are more nimble, for instance, investing in infrastructure, broadband, Wi-Fi hotspots so that districts and schools can respond if this comes back around to hit us, as many people think that it might. And then if we can provide targeted support, say, through a small individual grant to students who are particularly vulnerable, who've been hit particularly hard by this, those students with special educational needs who don't even have access to the internet, so they're not able to access education support and missing out on key therapies, then hopefully we'll be able to provide some supports to them as well. Those would be my hopes for that federal funding. My fear would be, of course, that this is a lot of money. A lot of folks are going to want it to go a lot of different places. And in Texas, it's a big state. 
So several hundred million is helpful, but can only go so far. I think uh, there are going to be folks like the, you know, we've got a large university sector here. There are going to be folks yeah. who would love it to go, you know, to pet projects. And we'd like to see the focus remain on student learning, especially for our students who've been hit the hardest, the most vulnerable students. Yep. It's going to be interesting to see how governors certainly spend their allotment. And uh, certainly higher ed is certainly what a lot of the governors are thinking of, ours here. What has the governor and the commissioner been doing specifically to make sure it's easier for schools to do their job? Yeah. Well, obviously, leading out with the waiver I mentioned previously was key, kind of setting the environment for how we're going to, as a state, approach this crisis. And then, honestly, TEA's been working around the clock. They've got a whole mini site within their website full of links, guidance, templates, and template letters for school districts to send out in the event of closures or if a staffer has been diagnosed with COVID-19, how to respond quickly to that. They have a guidebook for instructional continuity plans to help districts move quickly to this new setting. They've actually also started up a new website in the last week called texashomelearning.org. This is for districts that maybe don't have the resources to set up their own remote programs the way they want to or send out their own remote packets for kids who don't have internet access. This is TEA's attempt to make that easy for them. And they've gone through and collected resources, all freely available, and even, you know, gotten copyright waivers from some publishers. You know, can we put this online for the duration of this pandemic? And the, those resources are all there in sort of a day-by-day, week-by-week lesson plan schedule. So that if a district wanted to, they can log in, pull that stuff down, and kind of adopt that as their remote learning plan. So that's a huge lift on their part, and hopefully it's helpful to the school districts who need it most. And of course, parents could just use it as an additional resource as well for their kids. So as we look at the future, so we're talking about, you know, people are talking a lot about, you know, we need to serve kids now, and obviously that's right. We need to help with student learning. I mean, Texas has done a good thing by helping student learning now. A lot of folks are talking about how schools need to make sure they're serving food and doing all this sort of social work stuff or the sort of non-education stuff. Yes. There are those of us who think that could be done by other providers in a school <laughs> concentrate on education. But that said, what do you think the future holds? And what's the hope that you have for the future after all of this? I hope that we'll reconsider some of the requirements that we have for education in Texas and around the country. As we've had to respond to unusual circumstances, We need to remember that this is a worldwide unusual circumstance, which has all of us in the same boat at the same time. But students in all times, in all places, have unusual circumstances. And we need to try to create a system that is agile and flexible enough to respond to those needs, whatever they are, however unusual they are. That's a challenging proposition, but I think it's one that we need to rise to and consider how can we keep this education system responsive to those student needs, even when they don't fit into the boxes that we'd previously developed. This could look like continuing to expand our virtual education offerings for families who need those services or even just come out of this pandemic going, you know what, I really liked doing school from our living room. Our our kids learned a lot and it's something we can handle. This could be a chance for us to rethink seat time requirements in the context of career and technical education. If we waived seat time for this, 
then maybe we could waive seat time for a kid in an apprenticeship or find a way to work that better into their high school graduation plan. So it's a chance to kind of revamp things that we've taken for granted for a long time. So I think that's a super great way to think about ending this podcast because it's about how we can think differently, how we can do things differently. And then this is a tragic time and we need to make sure everyone is safe. But at the same time, if we keep doing the same old, same old, we're going to get the same old results. And this is an opportunity for us to think about how to really change the nature of how we deliver education. So really appreciate you coming on, telling us what's going on in the great state of Texas, the Lone Star State, as we all know. We appreciate it, or actually the great Republic of Texas, as opposed to the great state of Texas. <laughs> Once and always. Once and always. So thank you very much for joining us, both Lauren and Emily. And we really want you to download as we wind up here. We want to say thank you for joining us. We want you to join our podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can download them also from our website or get them at our website, www.edchoice.org, or in modern parlance, edchoice.org, because we don't use the W's anymore. So again, thank you guys very, very much. Appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you next time.